This week on the podcast, we will be discussing the final two chapters of Lincoln's Greatest Speech, which has been the second book in our Real Splitter Book Club. Welcome to the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. We are happy to be back with you after taking a week off. Sometimes life gets a little crazy, and it did for us last week, so we thank you for understanding in that. Joining me tonight is my co-host, Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, everybody stuck in traffic listening to us because all <laughs> their other podcasts have played? And although he's not here in person, Rail Splitter Jeremy is definitely here in spirit. So, as I said in the introduction, we'll, we will be wrapping up our second Real Splitter Book Club tonight by discussing the final two chapters on Lincoln's Greatest Speech by Ronald C. White. And uh, Nick has a little something he's going to dis- discuss before that, which ties into the book. But before that, we do have a little bit of Lincoln news for you. Um, so... The one story that we have, so this is one that started making its rounds on Twitter last week, and a few of you might clue in once I start talking about it here. Um, A few of my followers alerted me to it on my Civil War fangirl Twitter account, so thank you for all who did that. And it did spur quite the discussion, not just um, with what got tweeted to me, but just, I think, all over the internet. So when I looked a little further into it, the headlines alone are quite hilarious for this news story, and it will give you some idea as to what it's about. The New York Post's headline, People want to Gettysburg address, uh, Gettysburg undress this sexy Abraham Lincoln sculpture. Time magazine, Honest Babe, people are having a hard time keeping it together thanks to this chiseled Abraham Lincoln statue. And ABC News, Shirtless Babe, Lincoln at the L.A. Federal Courthouse sparks Twitter frenzy. And finally, the Daily Mail, Honest Abs, 1930s statue of shirtless young stud Abraham Lincoln, housed in Los Angeles Federal Building, sends swooning Twitter into meltdown. So you get the idea, and if you want to see more, just Google it. There are tons of headlines around this, like what you've probably guessed is this Lincoln statue. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Isn't that weird? It's something else. It's like Lincoln. It's like a young Lincoln. I would say like 20s. Yeah. He's First of all, his hair is like slick. It's like this long feathery hair that's kind of slicked back that looks like like a cool, <laughs> I don't know, like Brad Pitt when he's got that medium length hair, you yeah. know, like slicked back, no shirt. And he's definitely – he's got a six-pack, I would say. He's very chiseled. And then, yeah. And then he's got, like, veins in his arm, it looks like, in this picture, like in his bicep area. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, and then he's wearing, like – they seem like sweatpants almost. Yeah. But, but he's got his right thumb, like, tucked into the top of the band and like, the sexy pose with the book in his hand and, like, leaning on the wall with one leg straight, one, like – you know, kind of 45 degrees bent and just like looking off into this, like a total LA hipster at the beach. Yeah. It, it's a weird, it's an odd looking statue. So it's, 
eight feet tall, and it's been on display in a Los Angeles federal building since 1939, which when I heard it was 1939, I'm like, isn't that a little bit risque for that time period? Um, Because he's got no shirt, no shoes. He's holding a book in one hand. And as you said, Nick, he's clutching like these low slung trousers, and he's quite chiseled. And the history behind the statue is it made its debut at the New York World's Fair in 1939. The artist was a student named James Lee Hansen, and he won an award for it. He won um, just over $7,000 for it. And with his winnings, he apparently purchased a car, crashed it, and spent 18 days in jail. <laughs> um, like when I Rightfully s- so for tarnishing Lincoln. Lincoln was an ugly man, damn it, that needed whiskers on his face. And was not that ripped. Well, he could have been ripped, actually. He was pretty strong, I guess. Actually, apparently uh, he was quite ripped. So. I, I, don't, I don't think he was ugly. I know. I was just kind of. I know. Going with the story. <laughs> going. Um, He's not this sexy, I'll tell you that much. No, I saw the statue, and when I retweeted it, I was like, Abraham Lincoln in his David Bowie phase. Dude, that's a good call. That's exactly what I thought. It was I'm like, he looks like David Bowie. And I'd seen the statue before um this article was posted. I think it was a couple of years ago. It it kind of made the rounds on Twitter. Um and contrary to what the popular opinion is, I don't find the statue sexy at all. I think it's odd but fascinating, but it, it's just he's kind of looking off at nothing, don't you think? Yeah, I you Canadians, you guys don't know what sexy is. I'll tell you what statue of him is sexy, Nick. You'll love this. The one in Buffalo, New York. A Millard Fillmore? There's no, of Lincoln. There's that. one of Lincoln in New York, in Buffalo, New York. I hope Fillmore doesn't have one. Oh, God, that would not be sexy. I still don't understand how the Queen thought Fillmore was like one of the most handsome men she ever is. It's just a fat Alec Baldwin. I know, yeah. Every time I see Millard Fillmore, I'm like, it's Alec Baldwin. Like, yeah. But yeah, this the statue made its rounds on Twitter, and there was much discussion about it. And I don't know, it's it's odd. It did give me a chance to think about Wayne's World for the second time this week. Abraham Lincoln. Because, yeah, because I think in Wayne's World, it's like she's so hot, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they were on the Oscars too. So, um, good to see Wayne's World getting some love. Great movie. Yeah, well, that's what um, Lincoln belongs to the ages. He got into the discussion about the statue too, and he tweeted something about like he tweeted some woman. It, it's a picture on the internet too. Like she's dressed up like Abraham Lincoln, but he said something about oh, Abraham Lincoln or whatever. Yeah. So of course that was like brought into the discussion as well. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's sexy. I will go on a record and say I think it's very sexy. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Well, we if don't. Look like, we don't know what Boyce's opinion is on this. Uh, no, I guess he's the tiebreaker. So hopefully he tweets out and breaks the tie uh, for a rail splitter, rail splitter nation. So um, right now, what is it? What can we say? Like one out of three rail splitters think this statue is sexy. Yes. Okay, <laughs> but I'm everybody's favorite rail splitter, so I'm sure right. most people side with me. Yes, exactly. 
Anyway, that's because in Canada, you guys aren't used to seeing people with like their shirts off because it's so extremely cold. Exactly. And we then, can't do that. <laughs> I just like how I play up every Canadian stereotype. I know. Isn't it great? It's like, yet I don't like I hate hockey. Yeah, you guys just wear a lot of clothes, flannels, drink maple syrup <laughs> and play hockey and eat Canadian bacon, which is really ham. And drink Tim Hortons. Yes. Coffee. And Tim Hortons. That's a new one that I didn't know until this podcast started. Uh, yeah. And actually, like, so funny story. I didn't drink Tim Hortons all that much until I started my new job. And there's not a decent coffee shop in the town except for Tim Hortons. So I say I have to subject myself to Tim Hortons now when I want a coffee. So is Tim Hortons the Canadian Starbucks? Yes. Okay. But it is, I mean, as much as, I mean, it's not the best coffee, but it's, way better coffee than starbucks and tattooed historian will back me up on that because he loves tim horton's coffee have you ever heard of caribou coffee i have because because i would have thought that would be the canadian starbucks no once again playing off canadian stereotypes uh (laughs) if i'm a Canada, i'm gonna have to go to tim horton's now yeah you'll have to try it so Anyway, so that is our news feature for this week. So um, before we get into our book club, Nick, you went to a talk the other night. Would you like to tell us about that? Yeah, being uh, we're Rockford, and Rockford's probably the first place you think about when you think about the uh, the art capital of the world. Um, and being that we are the art capital of the world, you know, we do have a nominated Oscar nominated director from Rockford, uh, but. Sunday, the same day as the Oscars, we had Ronald White was in town. Um, and he gave a speech at the local museum at Midway Village. So I went out there and I, I had a uh, rail splitter Jeremy sighting. So me and fellow listener Chris Burns all attended the event. Uh, Jeremy actually paid for my ticket and I still owe him $10, I just remembered. Um, so if you're listening, Jeremy, I plan on still giving you that. But, yeah, it was great. Uh, good to see Jeremy. So he's doing great for everybody. Just busy busting his ass here at school uh, the last couple of months. Anywho, Ronald White, you know, I didn't know going into this. Sometimes you get these authors come in. They just kind of have, you know, the speech that they probably do 100,000 times and don't really put a much effort or passion in. I've seen that before where it's just kind of, hey, all right, well, I'm in Rockford. You know, came all the way from Pasadena to freezing cold Rockford. Um, but I was very impressed. He mainly talked about Grant's book. He was there promoting that, which I think is the life of Ulysses S. Grant. Am I right on that? Yeah, no? yeah. It's Amer- It's called American Ulysses. Okay. Yeah. And so basically he starts off, you know, he had a little bit of introduction. He had a picture up, and it was three presidents. It was George Washington, uh, Abraham Lincoln, and Ulysses S. Grant. And then it said – uh, founder, martyr, defender. And he kind of talked about, um, and I guess Teddy Roosevelt, if I think it's Teddy Roosevelt, he said that when Teddy Roosevelt asked who were the greatest, that was the three that he named. And then he had like a second tier, which were like Jefferson, um, Hamilton, like who were the greatest, you know, American figures and Ben Franklin. But he said that first tier, those three were heads and shoulders above everybody. Um, so, and then that kind of led in him talking about how Grant, you know, for a while there in history, uh, especially during the beginning of reconstruction phase, you know, during his white house years, you know, he was seen as a very 
distinguished public figure. And it was really kind of one of his arguments was Reconstruction, Jim Crow era is really what tore down his reputation. Um, And now just recently, it's starting to get built back up. And he talked a little bit about Lincoln. When he got done with Lincoln, his publisher goes, well, you are now a biographer, a presidential biographer. Who are you doing next? And then he threw out a couple names like Lyndon. I don't know if he threw out Johnson or not. But then his publisher goes, I think it's time that uh, Grant gets a rework. Um, And then so that kind of led to him talking about Grant's life. And he kind of it was an hour long. But he did a nice job. He kind of did a summary of Grant's life. He talked about a young adult Grant kind of going to West Point, the struggles that he had getting out of there. He talked. He did a nice job really talking about Julia and Grant's relationship um, and how much they really were in love with each other and how much each meant to each other. He talked about the difficulty of that marriage for their families. You know, Julia's family were um, slave owners and Grant's family was anti-slavery, very strong abolitionists. So that drew a wedge into their, you know, extended families. He talked about the Civil War, kind of dealing with Lincoln. Um, He read the first beginning of his book, kind of where um, Grant goes and he's in D.C., talks about him checking in the hotel and like the guy didn't even recognize him. Um, Just kind of, you know, how he was very humble. He was a listener, um, but yet he was still a military genius. Um, And then it talked about his presidency. And he really touched on the Native American rights that Lincoln, that uh, Grant pushed and talked about how he really fought for Native American rights, uh, you know, which was kind of funny because Sherman and Sheridan, who were out there fighting the natives, um, disagreed with Grant. Uh, But that didn't stop him from really trying to push. It talked about Grant being very supportive of African-American rights during Reconstruction And he really hit home on the fact that he thinks his biggest foreign policy contribution was easing tensions between the English, which became a future ally for us. And then he kind of got to the end of his life, talking about how he traveled the world tours, went to Japan, India. He was seen as like this hero. He talks about some Japanese tourists come to America and where they want to go see is like Grant's Cottage in New York. Um, where he laid the rest. I mean, that's just kind of how he's seen by the rest of the world. And the financial troubles that he got into and the commitment that he had to get the memoirs done to provide for his family um, in his afterlife. And it was really touching. The one issue I had that I was hoping he would get into it a little bit was the scandals that took place. Um, you know, a lot of it's believed it was... He had people that he thought he could trust. He couldn't. He took advantage of the situation. Um, but he stayed away from that, which I, I understand. You got an hour long, can't do everything. Um, the Q&A, he did a great job answering people's questions. Um, he was very passionate. He was speaking. It felt like he got like that quiver in his voice at emotional moments where it almost sounded like he was going to like cry, which I found, which really drew me in and – you know, which really impressed me to the point where I felt like I wasn't going to buy his book there um, and get it autographed. But he was so passionate and so emotional that I, I just wanted to get the book signed by him and just say, thank you for coming to Rockford. And I really enjoyed your passion. Um, because when you probably give a similar speech like that to still get that overcome with emotion and passion and have that much care about your subject it was really touching to me. 
Um, and, and that's really the moment that stuck out most to me. So um, it, it was really well done. If he comes into your area um, and he's given, I'd recommend you go listening to him. He's a great speaker. Um, he, he's just, he just seems like a very down-to-earth guy. It sounds like it was a really awesome talk. And I have um, I've talked to a few others who have heard him speak, and they said the same thing. He's very passionate. He gets almost emotional. And I think that definitely would draw the listener in. Um, in regards to what you said about, you know, the scandals and all that, the that's kind of the one thing I have with, with Ronald White is he doesn't, in his uh, biography of Grand American Ulysses, he doesn't really... He goes into the scandals, but the one thing that he doesn't touch on um, that I've read in other, um, well, it's more Sherman biographies, but Sherman and Grant actually had a falling out uh, during Grant's presidency, and White does not really address that. It goes from, you know, when Sherman's in his role as, you know, leading the U.S. armies when Grant is president, and then... Sherman's just not mentioned for a while and all of a sudden he gets mentioned again and there's no mention of the falling out. So I think he kind of in some ways shies away from that, but it's not, I don't think it's, I can't really criticize him for it, but I get what you're saying. Like it, it's, it sounds a lot like how he dealt with the scandals and stuff, but again, you know, he's only got an hour to speak, but like I would have loved to have seen him speak. Um, so yeah, thank you for that, Nick. That was an amazing recount. And, and I can see that. Too. I feel like he dived into this research and he just kind of really fell in love with the guy and what he stood for. And I'd, I get the feeling that he kind of put himself on this crusade that this is an American hero that we need to know more about mm-hmm. and we need to sell it. And then maybe during that, that kind of overshadowed. He decided to make that the main push for I haven't read his book yet, so I don't know. Um, and... To me, when he was talking, I, mean, I, I feel like that's really where his passion was. This is an American hero that we should not be overshadowed, that we should not forget. That played a huge part and has provided us with a very intimate, um, detailed account of his take um, to the point where I think it's only presidential memoirs at this point, at mm-hmm. least from that long ago, that hasn't been out of print. So, yeah, No, I would agree with that. Like Ronald White's writing... Um, you know, from A. Lincoln to American Ulysses, all the way back to the book that we've done for our second um, installment of our book club. Like, he is so passionate about what he writes about, and it really comes through. And, like, mm-hmm. in A. Lincoln, I saw it in A. Lincoln, um, but I re- actually read American Ulysses before I read A. Lincoln. Um, and I saw that passion, and it it really got me there was a while where i wasn't as into general grant i read one biography about him and i'm like oh this isn't like i'm just not feeling this but then i read what ronald white wrote and it just brought it back to me and like you said like yeah an american hero doesn't he should not be forgotten and he needs to be he needs to be reevaluated and i think that's what we're seeing happen mm-hmm. i do have Chernow's biography of him but I, not really hesitant to read it, but I've heard he focuses a lot on his alcoholism, which White doesn't really, kind of spoiler alert here, um, White doesn't really dive into that too much. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I've got a plan to read both. Um, I'm going to go my 
Grant binge here shortly, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, And there, um, for for you, Nick, and for our listeners, there was, I think it was released two almost two years ago now, or maybe just over a year, the... Um, there is a new annotated by or annotated version of Grant's memoirs out. Okay. Sweet. Which is probably I haven't read it yet, but I plan to this year. Um, but it's probably worth picking up as well. So here in a couple of months, look forward to our Lincoln Grant series of twenty episodes. That's yes. I'll be reading five books. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you again for that, Nick. Um, for and. It's awesome to hear that Real Splitter Jeremy is doing well and we're wishing him all the best right now and he's still here with us in spirit. But that's a good, probably good segue into discussing the last part of Lincoln's Greatest Speech by Ronald White. Yeah, let's do it. So this will be our final installment in our second Real Splitter book club. Hopefully, hopefully we get a third one going soon. Um, so we just have chapter eight, nine, and the epilogue to discuss in this episode. Um, so chapter eight is called, and this one made me smile for obvious reasons, with malice toward none, with charity for all. Hey, I hear that every episode. Yep. <laughs> so I found with this one that compared to some of the other chapters, I found this one to be very clear and concise. And I'm thinking specifically back to chapter six, which was just like on and on and on about the, the religious stuff. And I felt like it kind of, I felt very lost reading that chapter. That's the only time I felt lost in the book was reading chapter six. Um, I guess he, he went to school for theology and stuff. So. Yeah, After that, I heard him say that, I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense yeah, now, chapter 6. it's making six. sense now. Um, but in Chapter 8, White gets to the point very quickly. Um, and I, when I was reading this chapter, I thought, well, one of the things I've enjoyed about reading this book is seeing how White has evolved as a writer because I've read you know, his, his later works like A. Lincoln and American Ulysses. And while the writing in um, Lincoln's Greatest Speech is still excellent, it's not as succinct as what his writing is in his later books. And this chapter, though, like chapter eight, was more of what I expect from White. Um, And it's probably one of my favorite chapters in the book. And what I really, one of the things I really enjoyed about it was the discussion about punctuation and it seems kind of silly, but White mentions that many writers have corrected Lincoln's punctuation over the years in this paragraph of the speech. But White said he didn't because he argues it's the key to knowing how Lincoln would have recited these lines. And that's an excellent point that he makes because, and I'd never thought of it in that way, but White states that Lincoln used punctuation to cue himself. And that kind of made me start thinking about the speech you know, that part, you know, with malice toward none, with charity for all a whole lot differently. Like if you're reading, you know, like kind of, I guess, an not an annotated, but an edited version of it, maybe the person that was editing was like, oh, the grammar's wrong here. Let me correct it. Whereas it's like White didn't do that. And it seems to be like what he's saying is that's the key to understanding how Lincoln would have spoken it. Yeah, I, that's the first section I actually have highlighted in the chapter, too. And I like the part where you said Link, Lincoln punctuated for the ear. Mm-hmm. And that's what made Lincoln a great speaker. He knew what he wanted to say and how he wanted to sound. 
And that trumped proper grammar or, you know, worrying about those issues. Um, and that's really what a leader needs to be is a great communicator, which Lincoln was. And I think there's something that gets lost a lot now on some politicians is, or just some academics is they worry so much about using the proper words and proper English. Therefore, their message never gets to the masses. Mm-hmm. And then what's the point of having a message if you can't talk to an average, a so-called average Joe about it? So I always kind of think it takes a smarter person to simplify something in a shorter, more concise way for people to understand than just using big, fancy words. Maybe that's just because I don't know many big, fancy words, and I like to think I'm smart. So definitely take that with a grain of salt. No, I I would completely agree with you that it's, you know, and here's Lincoln. He's like, okay, screw the rules of grammar. I'm just going to do this for myself. Um, And the one thing it reiterated back to me, it's like primary source materials, like if you can get them to see how stuff was punctuated, it made me wonder like, well, what other of his speeches have I read that have possibly been edited by somebody because they're like, Oh, grammar's bad here. You know, it might change the way in which you hear the speech in your own head. And who knows where the hell commas are even supposed to go? I don't know. I swear. I write a big long sentence. I'm like, shit, looks like I feel like a comma should go in here. And then don't even get, I'm like, I just, I, commas i was terrible at grammar i still am oh i, I hate am writing too. emails so i i'm i i i love writing but i admit i'm horrible at grammar and luckily one of my best friends will edit my blog post for me and be like yeah <laughs> like you need to do this here and that here and this is a run on like you know that is the main reason why i never i submitted anything for like when you guys did it for that uh journal oh yeah I couldn't handle the stress. I'm just like, I'll stress too long. They both are replying. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I stress so much about that. I'm like, oh, how am I going to sound? Like, because I've been told, like, you write like you speak. I'm like, oh, and I ramble. This isn't going to be good. Yeah, good for Lincoln. Yeah, I know. I But that, that point in the chapter really stood out for me. Um, And then he goes on, and this didn't surprise me at all. He mentions the last paragraph as being the main thing that people remember from the speech. But, you know, White states, the last paragraph, powerful on its own terms, achieves its ultimate power only when it is understood as part of the whole cloth of Lincoln's ideas and rhetoric. And I thought this was a great reminder to all of us who study Lincoln, that as powerful as these particular lines are, are on their own, with malice toward none, with charity for all, um... Not just with this, but with all his speeches, you know, we can pick out parts that are really powerful to us. But we also have to remember, there's a whole other speech, you know, other parts around that. And to understand what Lincoln is getting across, we have to consider the whole speech. And I thought that was like, not just a great reminder for the second inaugural, but for all of Lincoln's speeches, too. And I think that's important, too, especially in this day and age of you know twitter social media and us trying to concise everything down to a soundbite and first of all technology was different then so i don't think politicians politicians today definitely go for soundbites but i don't think at that time that was an issue because a lot of times our whole speeches would get published in uh news media um and i don't think lincoln wrote for soundbites 
he wrote like the whole entire message was all like, like white saying it all flows together. He's trying to tie it all, you know, that last paragraph to the beginning paragraphs. Um, and I definitely think that's important too. And that also leads me another thing as well. Well, I guess that doesn't happen. I was going to say, like, if you read a text of a speech, and I'm thinking, who the hell reads a text of a speech in this day and age, 2019? <laughs> because I'll do that every once in a while when I miss it, and then I realize I'm talking, like, to myself. And then i got to remember, oh, I should watch the actual presentation of the speech. It's a lot different than the transcript. So maybe the one other person who does that along with me, keep that in mind. I mean, I sometimes read the text, too, because it's... You know, if I've listened to the speech and then if I read the text, I just understand it that much better. And sometimes I like to look at specific points and try and like, okay, well, what are they doing here? How does it connect back? Um, But I just thought this was like when I read that, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I can't just be cherry picking certain aspects. Like you've got to bring it all together. And I mean, that happens anywhere in history. Like you'll cherry pick for negative reasons to be like, Oh, this person was a racist cause they said this, but you're not considering the whole, Yep. you know, and whether it's a speech or a whole life, I mean, you can pick out certain points, but you've also got to remember there's other parts to it as well and not forget okay. those. Um, so the next part I really enjoyed from this chapter um, was his explanations for the words malice and charity And it's interesting to put them in terms of the 19th century when Lincoln was writing and speaking them, because we're looking at them from our world today. And those definitions, especially for charity, as White points out, are very different. And that, that to me, I was like, I read what he wrote about charity, like, you know, what charity means. And it kind I was like, I'd never thought of it as that way before, um, like how Lincoln would have interpreted the word charity would be God's love for humanity. So in other words, like white states love of our fellow human beings with this as an unselfish love that seeks only well-being of the other. So he's not speaking charity as in like, you know, we hear charity day and we think something like Salvation Army, Goodwill or or donating something like Lincoln is talking about like something that's not not physical. It's love. And I'd never, like, I had always seen the word charity as being, like, from the 20th or 21st century standpoint and not the 19th century. So that was in really, I like how he's kind of, like, making the reader think a little bit differently about it. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and he goes on to say he meant to use it to balance each other, kind of like the yin and yang type mm-hmm. of it, you know, um, that they were kind of opposites. And yeah, no, I found that fascinating too. So that's something you always got to take in consideration when you're looking at a primary source too. And they talked about this a little with grammar. Grammar has changed over time as well. Um, So, you know, 2019 grammar, Lincoln might look terrible when in fact it might not have been that bad. Um, So yeah, I found that fascinating as well. Yeah, and just how he, like, as you said, he's breaking, like, the yin and the yang. Like, he breaks down the malice toward none to being the Confederate leaders, the soldiers, and the citizens. But then he's putting that positive spin on it by adding in the word charity. And that charity for all would include, you know, the Confederate leaders, soldiers, and citizens. So there he is going in, like, you know, and White's kind of reminding us there, there's Lincoln going into Reconstruction. 
And that's pretty well how Lincoln, I think, wanted Reconstruction to go. If we all remember that scene from the movie Lincoln where he's sitting with Grant and he's saying something like, well, Jeff Davis could just go to Britain and I'll just turn a blind eye kind of thing. Like, I don't want to have to, I just want the country back together. Um, And the other thing that White brings in is he brings in the Cooper Union, which uh, quite instantly, ironically, was uh, the anniversary was yesterday. Uh, February 27th, 1860. And he says that there's something very similar going on with the second inaugural with, um, you know, with firmness in the right. And I think everybody will know the line I'm talking from, from the Cooper Union, but that Lincoln's angle changes in the second inaugural as God gives us to see the right. And a big theme in this book that I think White is trying to get across is showing Lincoln's evolution is not only like how he's thinking, but as a speaker too, like how his thinking had changed in five years. No, oh, yeah, definitely. Agreed. Um, and in this chapter too, he also brings in the story of Fort Pillow and Mrs. Booth going to him, you know, charity for, um, you know, and just kind of help for the, the widows of the black soldiers that were unfortunately killed there. And Mrs. Booth, who is not related to John Wilkes Booth. Good point. Yes. So no E on the end. So she was a wife of a Union soldier who was killed at Fort Pillow. Yep. And she, I think she went there and she saw all the, the black widows. And I think it was something like they weren't legally married. And something like, you know, they were saying they were the wives, but something about the marriage wasn't legal or something. But she still said, she told Lincoln, like, they still need the same rights as the, as what I have. So she went and advocated for them. And he he did definitely see her point of view on that, I think. Um, yeah, the big thing was the pension. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, she was going to receive her husband's pension to help support her family. Yeah. And because of the prejudice the black wives were not going to get the pension. So she went, met with Lincoln and fought for Lincoln to make right on a situation, yeah. which he does, which brings me to believe, because I think some people think a oh, charity for all, maybe Lincoln would have been easy on the South, but that case shows that, you know, he could easily have ignored that, mm-hmm. but he chose not to. And he did the right thing there. Yeah. So I, I like to think that he would have definitely done the right thing come reconstruction and have helped, um, you know what I mean? Push for African-American rights down in the South, which yep. we've seen that he was already leaning towards giving the right to vote and all that stuff. So Yeah, and his his last speech he gave, gave from the White House that he was saying, like, you know, mm-hmm. giving rights for them to vote. Um, the chapter kind of ends off with uh, White talking about um, just this coda for healing that Lincoln is bringing in. So, like, to bind up, to care for to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and a lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations, which I think is a very, like, that is the line that resonates with me most of all right now from the second inaugural. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. I guess I got nothing good to add, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I found the chapter overall very succinct, very like he breaks it down and discusses it so well. And I came away from it interpreting the speech a little bit differently and appreciating it even more than what I had before because of his analysis of, you know, like malice, charity, and just the punctuation. Like it, 
really like this chapter was probably my favorite out of all the ones I read. I was like, wow, I'm really seeing this in a different light now. And I think that's great that he's done that for the reader. Okay, so that's our discussion of chapter eight. We're going to move on to chapter nine now, um, which is called Better Than Anything I Have Produced, but it is, it is immediately not popular, which is what Lincoln had to say about his second inaugural, meaning that how it was received by the media, and that's what um, this chapter is about, is the reception by the media. But White picks up with the narrative that he left off with earlier on in the book, which is about how things were going with the inaugural address. Um, So once the inaugural was finished, which was, I think, at about quarter after 12, um, White discusses that Salmon P. Chase, um, who is now a chief justice, he administers the oath of office um, when Lincoln had been uh, inaugurated in just four years prior to this, Roger Taney was the one who administered it in 1861. And we've discussed him before on the show. Um, So White mentions the irony of Chase doing this, uh, administering the oath of office since Chase had wanted to be president. And we discussed this in our uh, podcast about the 1864 election, which is actually kind of in a way humorous how things turned out for Chase. Yeah. I would love to, know what his internal monologue was at that oh. time uh he had to be a little bit bitter about it i mean lincoln definitely won up some so <laughs> oh yeah i mean you give someone your resignation letter how many times did chase do that and then the final time lincoln's finally like fine bye <laughs> yeah so and chase had a lot of he had his eye on 64 so he did um yeah that had to be a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow but that is the way in American politics at times. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And I, I did enjoy White's discussion. Of, he kind of wraps up how the inaugural is going in Washington. And then he goes into uh, the main part of this chapter is how the speech was received by the press. So not just in the U.S., but internationally as well. And I thought White presented a very interesting, balanced discussion of it. You know, he's talking about how newspapers at that time were either Republican or Democrat. There was no, like, there was no in-between of that. So he was, you know, he discusses the different newspapers in Chicago and how they interpret the speech and the different ones in New York. And he gives kind of a backstory and history on them. And I found that really interesting as well. Um, And he even has... not much has changed. <laughs> no. Just uh, just a medium that we're getting our uh, biased info from. Yeah, exactly. In Canada, it's a little bit more like it's... Most of the newspapers are what we would term as like liberal, but then there's a few conservative ones. But even then, it's sometimes hard to tell because they'll have some article that's like, oh, I didn't expect this from this newspaper. Like, so it's it's very much a gray area. It's not like, oh, this is like a conservative newspaper and this is very much like a liberal. And just for our listeners, um, liberal, the Liberal Party of Canada would be kind of like the Democrats, and our conservatives would be the Republicans. So that's how that kind of translates. Um, and one thing that uh, White mentions in this is an interesting and very important change that had happened um, in the first inaugural versus the second. And that is that on March 5th, 1865, at 3 a.m., Western Union finally connected the telegraph wires from New York to San Francisco. So therefore, the second inaugural is like, you know, once those wires are connected, it's being instantly communicated from New York to San Francisco, 
whereas during the first inaugural uh, in 1861, the Pony Express has to be used. So it's a few days before they know uh, out in San Francisco what exactly Lincoln has said in his speech. And I thought that was like, that must have just been like, wow, for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I think something that gets overshadowed in this time period is like, this is really the time period where technology just takes off in America. And really, America just becomes smaller because, you know, it's Lincoln is the one who signs the Pacific Railway Act. That's going to leave the Transcontinental Railroad not too far away from here. You can now communicate, you know, so much more quicker um, with the telegraph from New York all the way to the coast. Pretty soon, people are going to be able to travel there um, without having to worry about, you know, getting stuck in the mountains and eating each other like the Donner Party. Um, So it's the world really just getting smaller at that point. I think that kind of gets overshadowed a lot during the civil war. Yeah. And I, I love that white drew that in because that was something I had never, ever thought about in connection with the second inaugural versus the first that they're getting that news so much quicker. Um, You know, and obviously then just over a month later, they would have heard about the assassination that much quicker too. Like it was almost instantaneous. And I mean, everything is so instantaneous in the world we live in today that that in four years must've just been for some people just like, Whoa, now we can get it right away. Whereas we had to wait, you know, weeks for something. Um, And white delves in a little bit into the relationship that Lincoln head with newspapers. And I've always found that quite interesting um, because, you know, he's got to be kind of their friend, but then they're dissing him. Uh, Talks about how he would go out, you know, onto the, just outside the White House and basically be like, here, go find me a newspaper and bring it back to me. And when he was a mail carrier or when he, you know, kind of was the postmaster, he would read all the newspapers and all that. So he like, and he had to do that, I think, as president, but he did that when he was younger as well, because not only did he enjoy reading, but I think he liked to stay on top of things like that. Um, But I like that there's that discussion there of the press as well. Yeah, I think he knew how to use the press to his advantage. You know, that idea of using the bully pulpit. And I think Lincoln had a good grasp on how to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, He definitely had some flaws in it to the point where, you know, he could have died in a duel. Um, But I think he learned over time, and especially once he got in the White House, he kind of understood, You realized when he could use it to his advantage, he understood that he was going to get criticism. Um, so just because he was just so informed and so knowledgeable, like he said, always reading newspapers mm-hmm. out loud to the irritation of his law partners. But. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I like there was that um, – before he and after he gave the second inaugural, he went to City Point to visit Grant. And that was where, at the time, they kind of had really streamlined how they were taking reports from the front that it had to go through Stanton. So, and I've mentioned this before in the podcast that Lincoln started writing the reports himself and they started putting it in the press as a report from the president. So, there he is using the press to his advantage. Yeah, just a mastermind. Yeah, exactly. Um, And White also discusses that, you know, the reviews from the Southern newspapers, which obviously weren't that great. But at the time, there was, I think, only 25 Southern newspapers in print. Yeah, they just just did not have the resources anymore. 
Um, the way he ends off the chapter, though, I thought was very powerful with Frederick Douglass. And I also uh, enjoyed that a great deal. I love that it was the way he ended it when Lincoln's like, you're the only one that matters. And Douglas just says, Mr. Lincoln, that was a sacred effort. Yeah, that's a great way to end. Frederick Douglass, who pops up several times, I believe, in the book he here. He does, yeah. Uh, so he kind of bookending it with Douglass's opinion on Lincoln and kind of because he was not a fan of the first inaugural. No. Um, so just kind of showing the evolution of that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just think it's funny, just like the Gettysburg Address at the time, it was not considered by the masses to be this ultimate speech, you know, to the point where you have Ronald White considering Lincoln's greatest speech, putting a whole book together about it. Um, and it just kind of goes to show you that, especially when you study history, sometimes you got to let this stuff marinate um, before you make a final critique or analysis of stuff to truly get what the meaning of the words are. Sometimes our leaders know what they're doing, which is hard to believe. Um, <laughs> and those words mean a lot more when you look at it after things play out. And I think that definitely, I mean, that happens like going into the epilogue. It leads off with how as soon as he dies, you know, this whole speech takes on a completely new meaning. Yeah, exactly. And like everybody's talking with malice toward none with charity for all. And that's why those are the lines that we remember the most from that speech, from this speech. And yes. And the one line that sticks out for me from the epilogue is that White says it's to trace his development as an artist is to trace his growth into greatness. Like, not only, the one thing I enjoyed about this book is not only is White just talking about the second inaugural, but he's bringing in Lincoln's other speeches to show his evolution to this second inaugural and to how much he had changed and and grew. Yeah, I mean, it's the ultimate evolution Mm -hmm. of where Lincoln ends up shortly before, unfortunately, his assassination. Yeah, and unfortunately, that last speech he gave at the White House is not remembered as much as the second inaugural. Um, but in that last speech, we know that he was talking about, you know, like citizenship and voting for African Americans. Um, and White also quotes in the ep- quote from White in the epilogue: "His words proved lasting because he embodied what he spoke. He acted throughout his presidency with malice toward none, with charity for all." And that goes back to Nick. Uh, what you said about White's passion for what he's writing about. And like, I read that line. I thought that's exactly what Lincoln was about right there. No, that's a great point. And yeah, it really gives you um, insight into kind of White and Lincoln. And especially after seeing him speak. Yeah, that definitely carries more weight now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, so general thoughts on the book, like I, really really enjoyed it um it's not as i've mentioned a few times if you're just getting into lincoln don't read this book because you could possibly be lost (laughs) it's very very much for somebody who's already read a biography about lincoln so as we said before um the ones um you know maybe to read would be a lincoln by ronald c white uh, Abraham Lincoln, The Man Who Saved America by Dr. David J. Kent. That was our first book in the Real Spitter Book Club, and he was also a guest on our show. And Lincoln by David Herbert Donald. Those would be three that um, 
great biographies to read about Lincoln, and then you could dive into this book. I agree with that. I would say it's a supplement book to your Lincoln fandom. Definitely start with a biography. I would also encourage you, if you're just starting to get Lincoln, you read a few biographies, I would encourage you to read the, you know, the must-hit speeches, the first inaugural, second inaugural, Gettysburg, House Divided speech. You have uh, maybe Lincoln's farewell from Springfield, the Cooper Union speech, and a few others. Hit those. And then once you start to get a better grasp, a little bit of Lincoln, dive into this because then you can kind of play around with uh, White's opinion, um, kind of where you stand on the second inaugural address um, and provide a little bit more. It definitely gave you more background to the speech, kind of where Lincoln was at, where some of these words showed up in other maybe less known works. Um, And I would say for the most part, I enjoy the book. It's a good supplemental one. Like I said, there was a couple chapters that got a little too heavy. Um, for me personally, when it got into the theology stuff, and that could just be because me, I haven't myself dived into that. So definitely if somebody's very into that, you might find that very fascinating. Um, so I did, I did enjoy it at the end day. I know I came across sometimes poo-pooing and stuff. Um, you know, chapter six, you're getting bored, skip to chapter seven. I don't blame you there. Yeah, so. no, I, I agree. And I think, again, it goes back to where, like white is, I think a very passionate person and that, he just ran with the theology and when you mentioned that that was kind of his background i'm i'm understanding chapter six a little bit more now and i think it goes back to like we kind of have to understand the author and where he's coming from too um but yeah this book made me uh it helped me to understand the second inaugural a little bit better and to me the second inaugural has always been my favorite speech of lincoln's so to me, it is his greatest speech, I guess you could say. Uh, Gettysburg Address falls very close behind that. Sometimes it's hard for me to pick between the two. Like, they're both great for their own reasons. But the second inaugural is kind of the culmination. And now I see it more of everything that he had kind of written prior to that, that White brings into this. Yeah, yeah I mean, in the worst case scenario, this book is going to get you to think about the second inaugural address probably in more detail than probably what you have. At least probably it did for me, which is not a bad thing if you're a Lincoln fan. So it's getting you to reflect a little bit more on that. And I don't think anything bad is going to come of that (laughs) at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, definitely a great supplemental read for Lincoln, um, Lincoln nerds for fellow rail splitters. Yeah. So any other rail splitters that read along with this or have read this book prior, feel free to. Uh, chime in on Facebook, on Twitter. You guys are always great about doing that. We would love to know what you thought about this book too. I think uh, we're coming away from this one as uh, just as with our first Real Spitter Book Club as a book that we would recommend for uh, Lincolnites to read. And it's funny how we did kind of a general biography as our first one and now we're getting more into like something a little bit more like succinct and very niche with Lincoln. Um, so I think that's great too. Yes. And, but I'm still bitter. They didn't pick my book. So maybe next time, Nick, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Well, yours came in second, didn't it? So we could always do that. I think it was a tie technically, but, uh, I'm never participating in another poll. (laughs) Just be Jeremy and I that'll be doing it. Yes. (laughs) Anyways, that's it. (laughs) 
So we hope you enjoyed our second installment of our Real Splitter Book Club. Uh, we will be doing it again. If you want to suggest books, feel free to Real Splitters. Um, so I think we can move on now to our weekly features, Nick. Yeah. Okay. So our first one is of the people by the people. Do you have one for us? Uh, I'll let you go first. Okay. So mine is, uh, Andrea, who is a frequent poster on our Facebook page. It was just, I couldn't pass it up. She had her daughter, a photo of her daughter. I think her daughter's around three or four. She was watching Lincoln. And that, I was like, that is awesome. (laughs) She's starting her so early and that's wonderful. Yes, I saw that too as I was doing my extensive uh, (laughs) research on what I wanted to choose literally two minutes ago. No, but was she really watching or was she playing with those toys that are in front of her? No, she's totally But nevertheless, (laughs) it was in the background, so that is awesome. Mine is to Brian McKinley or Mc... McKinley? McKinley, yeah, thank you. Uh, who did a better job of portraying Lincoln in the movies? Raymond Massey? Is it Massey? Yep, Raymond Massey. Or Henry Fonda? I can't decide. They were both exceptional, which led to comments about us possibly reviewing these things on the podcast, um, some of these older portrayals of Lincoln. Um, I think we should keep Daniel Day-Lewis out because we all know he's won it, I the competition. Um, but we've talked about this several times in the past. And I definitely think we should put together a list and watch it and do it for a future podcast episode. Mm-hmm. So I am definitely a fan of that idea. Yeah, I agree. That's why when I saw his when I saw that post, I shared it and I said, "Real splitters, what do you think? Show on this where we review yeah. them." I I can, yeah. I can tell you, like my mom just watched the Henry Fonda one because it was on around Lincoln's birthday and she was kind of giving me the play by play of it. And all of a sudden I got this text message when it was over and she was like, Lincoln was a really thoughtful man, but people didn't see him that way. (laughs) I I almost texted her back and said, you're going to get quoted on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. How many movies would that entail us watching, I guess? Um, so Raymond Massey's one. Henry Fonda's the other. Is there a couple more in there? I There was one that I remember watching when I was a kid, and it involved the Gettysburg Address. And I think it had Jason Robarbs playing Lincoln. Which, thinking I'm back not- to now, that's really odd. So it was obviously from the late 80s. Yeah, I'm all for this. This could be a uh, podcast crossover idea, too. Yeah. Yeah, I got to. Anyways. Nick is thinking about something. (laughs) There's a podcast I listen to. Their new season's not up, but For Your Reconsideration. And they watch, like, all the Oscars. Like, each season is, like, either 81. It's, like, 51, 61, 71, 81, all the way through with the Oscars. And they rewatch each episode is like take eighty one. They watch all the the movies that were nominated, and then they like redo the ballot, like which one should have been uh, the winner. Now looking at two thousand nineteen, so they're great people. So well, maybe 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 we'll get them on here. But I think if we watch the Massey one and review it, watch the Fonda one, review it. I think we need at least a third one in there. Yeah. 
so we can get a little bit. So, Rail Splitters, if you can suggest a third Lincoln movie that is not Lincoln or Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, because we've already reviewed that too. We, Bill and Ted's. Uh, yeah, we could throw in Bill and Ted's. There's also, um, and I know it exists because my mother has watched it, and also because I have a copy of it at the library I work at Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. No, That's neither ridiculous. am I. Yeah, I'm I, just joking. <laughs> I would do that actually for the podcast. My mother watched it and she was like, "It was weird." Were you like, "Yeah, I can't imagine why"? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, mom. Um, so anyway, moving on to our this week in Lincoln, and our this week in Lincoln is the statue from Los Angeles because it's, which I believe is titled Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Gettysburg undressed, honest abs, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I will tweet out a photo of that uh, once this show is posted, just in case any of uh, you rail splitters missed the loveliness that is that statue. Yeah, agreed. Give us a, if you like what you hear, you know, go to iTunes right now because it's all over. <laughs> Give us that five star rating. Drop some kind words and we'll read them on the air with your name so you can get a shout out on a rail splitter. You could be the next Chris Burns, who's been mentioned on many episodes, as well as this one, or the next Andrea, or the next Brian, or the next, uh, who's the dude? Oh, Jackson with the sweet beard. Actually, if you give me a second, I do have some reviews from Twitter that I can read to us. Yeah, I could just keep naming people watch the show. <laughs> so, uh, go ahead. John Jensen, uh, who at J. Clinton Jensen, I recently discovered your podcast. I'm really enjoying it. Wishing you all continued success. So thank you very much for that. You're the man. You're the man, John. And we've got some very, uh, we've got some new followers on our Facebook page as well which is nice as well as on twitter so thank you everybody for all the support yes we appreciate all our listeners we appreciate the interaction yeah i love seeing it facebook accounts great i only have the harlem vet project facebook so um i feel like if i comment in there all our harlem veteran project followers be what the hell is going on so i should get my own personal facebook account so i can start to chime in on the yes, conversation you should never. but i but i am reading and i am Uh, And I enjoy what I read. All right. Okay. So That's all I got. I'm done. Okay. So I think that's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in, as always, Real Splitters. So keep walking the world's malice toward none and charity for all. And we will see you all again soon.